thank you for joining us on the Rose Church Podcast. For more information about this podcast or other resources, please visit rosechurch.org or follow us on social media at Rose Church PDX. I want to read a really um, short story, but I think it's so powerful. And it's actually really, um, I think it's so simple. When you read it, it's easy to just read through and jump over and not even think about it. But it is profound. We're going to go to the book of 1 Kings today, Old Testament, 1 Kings. I talked about Elisha last week and some other things. So let's stay in the book of 1 Kings, 1 Kings chapter 19. If you have a Bible, go ahead and turn there. If not, it's going to be on the screen for you. Here we go. 1 Kings 19, 15, and 16. Then the Lord told him, Elijah is who he's talking to, go back the same way you came and travel to the wilderness of Damascus. When you arrive there, anoint Hezael to be king of Aram and then anoint Jehu, grandson of Nimshi. That's a cool name, Nimshi. Babe, next kid, Nimshi. Nope, okay. And anoint, key, key sentence right here, anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat from the town of Abel, Melahi, and to replace you as my prophet. Let's jump down to verse 19. This is actually when they meet. So Elijah went and found Elisha, son of Shaphat, plowing the field. There were 12 teams of oxen in the field. Key number, 12 teams of oxen in the field. And Elisha was plowing with the 12th team. Elijah went over to him and threw his cloak across his shoulders and then walked away. Elisha left the ox standing there ran after Elijah and said to him, first let me go kiss my mother and father goodbye, and then I will go with you. And Elijah replied, pretty interesting, well, yeah, go back, but you need to think about what I've done to you. In other words, like, you shouldn't go back, but if you have to, you should kind of consider what just happened. It says, well, Elijah returned to the oxen and slaughtered them. Pretty, pretty interesting phrase right there. He turned to his oxen, slaughtered them, and he used the wood from the plows to build a fire and roast their flesh. And he passed around the meat to the, all the townspeople, and they all ate. Then he went with Elijah as his assistant. My title for our talk today, and I'm very um, excited and ready to preach, and maybe if you've never been in a room like this before, people are going to say amen and being involved in all that. Um, welcome uh, to our church. It's going to be a really fun day. But my title for our, my talk, for our, my message today is, My Answer is Yes. My answer is Yes. Let's pray as we dive into 1 Kings chapter 19. Jesus, I thank you for your word. I thank you for who you are, what you're doing, God. And I pray you'd speak to us on these few moments we share together in your word and everything that you want to speak to people today, God, even those that are maybe here for the first time ever. And this is a little overwhelming to those that have never been in church in their whole life and they're on a spiritual journey considering faith and spirituality and even you today, God. I pray you'd speak to us through your word and um, be here with us, especially those getting baptized. We thank you for them today. In your mighty name I pray. And everyone said... Amen. Also, um, if you are a Husky fan, we'll have a prayer corner for you um, at some point during the service today. We love you, but God does not. Um, come on, just kidding. Sports! Um, I, I, I've noticed this. I am, you know, I'm, a, I'm a pastor full-time, so my entire life is with people and parties and birthdays and uh, uh, lunches and dinners and getting coffee with people, whatever. My whole life is people. And I, be, I begin to know this one thing about people. 
about different friend groups, because all of you have a friend group, whether it's a big one or a small one. Uh, I know you have acquaintances, but you have a friend group, a circle that you probably hopefully spend your life with. And by the way, if you don't have a friend group, welcome to a really big friend group. Welcome home. Welcome to the family. But um, I noticed these things about friend groups. They all have the same people in them. Whether they look different, different race, different gender, different ages, doesn't matter. You all have these people in your friend group. Here's a few of them. Guaranteed you have them. Number one, you have the funny person in your friend group, a.k.a. the center of attention. And we all know that it's you, okay? So don't turn to your neighbor, especially your spouse. Don't be nudging, okay? Um, They're the funny people. They tell all the jokes. They're the center of attention. They host everything. Uh, They always interject their stories or whatever it might be. They are the funny people. Second group of, 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 or second personality that you have in your group is the sketchy friend. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, oh yeah. Some of you are like... So be like, am I the sketchy friend? Let me give you some insight if you're the sketchy friend. Number one, it goes like this. On my way, but you never show up. <laughs> you sketchy. If you're like five minutes away and you don't come, Roxanne Tyler, I don't know where you're at. What's she doing? Like, what do you mean you're on your way? And it comes like this. Where are you last night? Something came up. <laughs> that can mean anything. What do you mean something came up? Like you can't tell us what you were doing? Like something came up, wasn't there. Or, or it goes like this. I was with my other friends. Friend, you don't have other friends. We are your only friends. We don't know who you are with. You have a sketchy friend. And those of you laughing really hard, I'm speaking straight to you, okay? Next, all of you have in your friend group, the difficult friend. Oh, got real quiet on that one. Or, or in other language, the extra friend. And if you're wondering, am I the extra friend? Here's some advice for you. If your friends invites you to something and your response is, who's coming? You're an extra friend. You're difficult. Why is your immediate response, who's coming? What's the menu? Where's the restaurant at? Is it gluten-free? Did the cow have a name? Was he happy? Where are we going? You're the extra friend. Chill out. You'll be invited to more parties if you chill out. I promise you. Then, this is, this is good preaching. Some of you are like, I have all of those friends, and they are in my row right here. All of them. Um, last, every one of you have this friend, the I'm in friend. You could say, let's rob a bank, and they're in. You could say, let's go on a road trip with no money, no plan. Let's just start driving down I-5. I'm in. Like, it does not matter what you say. It doesn't matter the offer. You could even be halfway through your sentence. I'm in. I didn't even finish what we're doing. I don't care. I'm this friend, by the way. You could sway me to do anything. I'm in. Jeremy, call me. Do you want to? I'm in. I didn't even see what we're doing yet. I know. Let's just, let's go. I'm in. Now, I know that's funny and very real. That's why we're laughing. But this this is my reality, is when it comes to my relationship with God, I never want to be the difficult person. The extra person. When God asks me to do something, God uh, speaks to me, God talks to me, God asks requests of me, I never want to be the extra person. I always want to be, I'm in. God, whatever you want to do, I'm in. Easy going. I want to be that person. And when when I read 1 Kings 19, this is what came to my mind, how easy and I'm all in Elisha was. I want to give you three thoughts today from 1 Kings 19 that I hope applies to you. 
and uh, to your life, whether you come to this church, whether you're still on a journey with Jesus, wherever you're at today, I hope this applies to you and also to our church specifically because we are in a journey about um, right now buying our first building. And uh, by the way, last week, uh, escrow opened, final paperwork's are getting done, and uh, we're heading toward closing date, which is... Very exciting, and we are on a journey of raising $500,000 here on November 24th on Give Sunday, and you'll hear more about that next weekend, so make sure you're in church next weekend. But we are on a journey of what? I'm in. I'm all in. I'm all in. We'll give you three thoughts today from 1 Kings chapter 19. Number one is this. God interrupts our daily scheduled lives. This story is amazing because we can easily just read over it, but Elisha is minding his own business. He's at work with his 12 oxen. Which, by the way, means he's very wealthy. If you have 12 oxen in a huge field, like you have, you have notoriety, you have wealth, you have success. Like, like you, you're one of the prominent people and dominant people in your society. If you have 12 sets of oxen, which is 24, he, oxen are always pairs of two. So he's 24 oxen. This man has money. Because the same way that we have checkings and savings account, they have cattle, oxen, and sheep. Like that. It's the same thing for them. So this man has a lot of money. He's minding his own business. Working, he's in the field. The Bible says Elijah finds Elisha in the field plowing. He's working. And out of nowhere, God interrupts into his life. What's amazing is Elisha isn't praying, God, please find me. There's no record. There's no notion. There's nothing going on to give content or context to uh, um, Elisha saying, God, would you? God, talk to me. God, call me. Out of nowhere, God interrupts Elijah's life. Can I ask you today, are you more committed to your five-year plan than God's plan? Now, many of you are type A like, yes, yes, I am. I am committed to my plan 100%. (laughs) Now, listen, Proverbs says a man plans his ways. So planning is not bad. It's actually very wise. You should plan. Some of you like type B people, plan something. (laughs) Okay? Like planning is actually really, really good and wise. Proverbs says, it is wise for a man to leave money for his great-grandchildren, right? Wisdom to plan, to get ready. It is wise, but it's unwise to make your plans more important than God. And I promise you, if you're here today and you want a window, what is it like to start following God to be interrupted? What is it like to follow Jesus on the daily? Be interrupted a lot. And you know what's amazing about Jesus? He never asks if it's okay. He never goes, Elijah, are you okay? How are you doing? I would like to talk to you. Do you have some time? Can I, can I be penciled into your schedule? Can you call me after work? Can I have a moment? Out of nowhere, God just shows up in your cubicle as you're typing away, and he starts talking, and you're like, I'm working. He's like, no, I know, but I would like to interrupt. You're on your workout. You're with a friend. Like God has a, 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 a knack. He has a propensity to just interrupt when he wants to interrupt. And by the way, I want to be the church, I want to be the pastor, I want to be the Christian that God knows, interrupt me whenever you want, God. If I'm going left and you want me to go right, interrupt. If I'm going somewhere, you want me to turn, interrupt. It's not just allowing God to interrupt. Hear me. It's saying, God, would you please interrupt my life? Would you please interrupt my daily scheduled program life? Whatever you want, God, my life is available for you to interrupt, for you to step in. Some of you are here today because God interrupted into your life. You had no desire to be at church, no desire for Jesus, but your neighbor kept talking to you every barbecue that she could find you. You got cornered. Or your roommate, or your classmate, or your deskmate. 
They've been prodding and asking and asking and asking you. Why? Because God is interrupting himself in your life. Can I just really ask you a really simple question? Is your life interruptible? Is your five-year plan interruptible? Now, some of you are like, this is why I don't want to follow Jesus. He'll ruin everything. He'll ruin my plan. He'll ruin everything. No, he might not, but he might. He might make you switch schools. He might make you switch programs. He might have you move states. Some of you are here because God interrupted you and, inter- and, and had you move to Oregon. Thanks for the traffic. Some of you are, are, are a product of God's interruption. The reason we love for Mary is because God interrupted her life. She's on her way to a different school, and God interrupted her life and sent her to Portland. We are all candidates for God to step in and interrupt. Is your plan, is your money, is your relationships, is your schedule interruptible? Not only interruptible, you actually start making really weird, dangerous prayers. God interrupting whatever you want. God, interrupt my schedule, interrupt my finances, interrupt my relationships. Whenever you want, step in and do whatever you would like. God interrupts our daily scheduled lives. Number two, this is where I want to pause for it because this is fascinating. God has a desire, but you have a decision. Let's go back to 1 Kings 19, verse 15. Little sentence that we could easily just read over and not even consider. Elijah, and anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat from the town, I want him to replace you. This is my desire. Elijah, go find Elisha. I have a call on his life. I have a purpose on his life. I want him to replace you. Go and call him. Verse 19, this is what happens. Now, it's weird for you and I, but a cloak is like an anointing. It's like a gift. It's like a call. It's, a, it's this man's life. And so when Elisha walks by and throws his cloak on Elisha. What is he saying? God is inviting you into something. God's inviting you to a call. And this is amazing. What does the Bible say? He throws it and keeps walking. He doesn't stop and beg. He doesn't stop and please when you respond. He goes, here's the invite. Do you want it, yes or no? And keeps walking. Elijah knows God has a desire to choose him, but he must make a decision to respond. This is, this is amazing, because this is how you and I work, by the way. Some of you are so mad at God because you want more desire, but he's asking you, will you decide? Will you, will you respond? I have a desire towards your life. I have a call towards your life. I have reached out. I have asked you to do something, but you have to respond. But many of us, we like to make everything on the sovereignty of God's side. Oh, if he wants to do it, he'll do it. Do you know why? Because it's easier to blame God's sovereignty than it is to blame your discipline. God bless. Okay, so. (laughs) It's easy to blame the sovereignty of God. Well, he just didn't want to do it. God didn't call me. God didn't intervene. He just didn't want to do it. God does what God does, and whenever he wants, he just decides. No, no, no. Elijah goes, here's your invite. What do you say? He throws the cloak. He throws the invitation. He throws the mantle. He throws the opportunity. And just keeps walking. And this is amazing. Because he doesn't beg him to respond. Right. Now, I'm going to ruffle some feathers. Buckle your proverbial seatbelts. <laughs> Many of us think God is a desperate boyfriend. Please do it. 
Please respond. I need you so bad. If you don't do it, no one will. And we think God's begging us, though often God calls and keeps moving. Yeah, here's your call. I have a mission. I have a purpose. I'm doing something. And if you want to respond, here's the invite. But I'm going to keep moving on my mission. And this is what's so um, uh, a little bit in our face, but this is the reality that if you say no, God will find someone else. I just, I know this is a little like, oh, this is not encouraging. This is not the sermon I needed today. I needed one of those encouraging God loves me messages today. It's, it's the truth. I'm trying to help you out as your pastor. If you are too busy and say no, God will find someone else. Yes, he, he, he can redeem. He can bring things back around. He can bring opportunities back around. I believe it all. And, and God's grace is amazing. He can bring it all back around. But the reality is God has extended a call and he's going to keep moving. And it's, he has a desire, but we need to have a decision. Now, we don't need to lower God's sovereignty. We just need to raise man's responsibility. I'm not saying like, let's, let's do away with God's, with God's sovereignty. No, God is still sovereign. He does what he does. But the reality is our responsibility needs to grow. That there is over and over and over again in the New Testament, if you, then I. All the narrative, the motif of scripture, if you, then I. Jesus spits on the man's eyes and goes, go wash in the pool of Shalom. Desire, decision. Stretch your hand out. Now, who are you? Desire, decision. I can, I can keep going. Desire, I want to heal you. Cast your nets on the other side. Desire, do it. Decision. I can go through story after story, through the, especially New Testament Jesus. How God, I saw my professor from college uh, on Friday, who is much, much smarter than most people in this world. He goes, God has designed a system where your response is mandatory. He's built this system. How he operates is you have to respond. You have to react. You have to decide. You want to be healed? Stretch. You want more fish? Cast the other side. You want to see? Go to the pool. You want to be healed? Go home and see your daughter. I mean, I can go through every story of the New Testament. And what? It's Jesus showing. I have a desire. But will you have a decision? Elijah, here's the response. Will you decide? Third, we're going to end here. God can't be put on hold. Also, if you want to join me real quick, I have a simple little illustration that this is why I was at Home Depot yesterday. And I came home, and Julie's like, what are you doing at Home Depot? And I was like, serving the Lord. I didn't say that. Some of you are like, you talk like that? No. Um, this just popped to my mind yesterday. I, I know it's very simple, but please follow me, because I'm a very visual learner. And some of you, this is going to help you out a lot. Some of you are trying to hold so much in your life. For some of you, you're trying to hold school, trying to graduate, trying to get your life in order. You're trying to hold your spouse. He's difficult. You're difficult. You guys got married. You're trying to figure this whole thing out. You've been married for 40 years. You're trying to get it back to what it used to be. You're trying to figure out marriage, life, spouse. You're trying to figure out all of that stuff. You're trying to figure out your money. Like, I don't have enough. I have bills. I have, I have things going on. I need to pay school off. I started a business. And then you start having all these dreams in your life. I want to do this, and I see this, and I think this is awesome. Then you have a kid. So be like, what's, like, what's it like having a kid? Drown. And then have someone throw you a baby. 
That's what it's like to have a kid. You can't swim, you can't catch your breath, and God goes, here's a kid. That's what it's like having a kid. They're awesome, right? You're trying to raise kids right, have them love Jesus, love people, get their homework done, graduate high school, get out of your house and go to college. Amen. That, that was, a, that was a, a moment. Then you then you get saved and you're trying to figure out your faith. Where's God? What does this mean? Leviticus, I hate this book. Why am I reading it? Right? Then you go to Revelation and you're like, this is not the religion for me. Right? You're like scared at late at night, you know, watch reading the book of Revelation. You try to figure out your future and you start dropping your future. Right? Whatever it might be. We start keep adding things. And then you find out that God has a will for you. And you're like, God, above the money, above the future, above everything else, now I have to hold your will? I feel the call. I feel the desire. I feel you. And like, I can't hold it all. And then, God, can you just wait? You find out real quick, God can't be put on hold. He's moving. And he's going to do it with you or without you but I'll prefer with me. Then this is what happens. He goes, hey, here's my will. Hold it. Come on. It's a good will. You'll love it. It's amazing. Come on. And you start letting go of all the stuff because you can't hold your life and his will at the same time. It's too big. His will is too big to hold your life and his will. But this is what God starts doing. He opens up his will. And he starts taking your kids and put them in your will. Starts taking your school, putting it in his will. And he starts taking everything that you've been holding and puts it inside his will and inside his grace. And then when, when you let go of everything else, now God's will is much easier to hold on to because you let go of everything else and God in his goodness takes your kids, takes your money, takes your future, takes your anxiety, takes your dreams and goes, now you can hold. But you can't do both. Hear me, friend. You can't hold on to your past and grab your future at the same time. You can't. Elijah, here, here you go. What do you say? And then he says this phrase, can we go kiss my mom and dad? What is he saying? Can you wait? Can you be on hold? Not that kissing your mom and dad goodbye is a bad thing, but what he's saying is, my past is more important than my future. I want to say yes, Elijah. I want to say yes and be your assistant, but I have some things I need to take care of. Could I ask you today, as you feel God's call, what's holding you back? Yeah, but. I want to give to the offering, but. I want to start serving, but. I want to give, but. I want to be at church. What, what is the thing that when you feel God saying, come on, you're like, I can't. I'm holding the divorce. I'm holding the mistake. I'm holding my kids. I'm holding, I, I would love to respond, but I'm holding too much. And Elijah, look at this, had to burn it. Not just leave it, burn it. Why would you burn it? Because you can't come back to it. Even if he wanted to return, he wanted to come back, it's burnt. He takes the wood and builds an altar. 
He takes the cattle, slaughters them, feeds all the people. What is he doing? I have no plan B. I have no return. Do you know what I've learned about God? Is if you have a plan B with God, God will become your plan B. He will. If you have a back out option, I'm doing this church thing until, that until will become really real. Do you have a plan B with God? Are you the difficult friend? Say it this way, are you the difficult disciple? Are you the sketchy disciple? Are you the person that's not showing up and God's saying, I called. I threw my desire, I threw my potential. I have desires for you, but I'm waiting for you to respond. I, I end here. I, just, I want you to say this in your heart. This is my plan, my, my desire, my hope for you as your pastor. My answer is yes. I will figure out how later. Yep, I'm in. You want me to start a business? Yep, I'm in. How you gonna do it? Don't know, but my answer is yes. I want to move and start a new job. How you gonna do it? I don't know, but my answer is yes. God, whenever you interrupt, my answer is yes. Whenever you interject, my answer is yes. Whenever you say left, I'm going left. Whenever you say right, I'm going right. Whenever you say move, I'm gonna move. I don't know how it works out. I don't know where it's gonna take me, but my answer is yes. And I'll figure out how later. Let's give to the offering. How? My answer is yes. I'll figure out my money later. I'll figure out my spending later. I'll sell some things. I'll move. I'll, I don't know how it's going to work. But my answer is already yes. My, my disposition, my predisposition is whenever God speaks, yes. And I'm willing to burn my retreat. So even when I'm in the middle of it and it's hard, I want to quit. It's difficult. I don't know where God is. Even if I wanted to return, I couldn't do it. So I guess I might as well keep fighting. I might as well keep pushing. I might as well keep believing because everything I left is gone. So even if I wanted to, it's not an option. So therefore, forward is the only option. Are you trying to fit God into your life or are you trying to fit your life into God? Is God like the per peripheral? All right, I have my life. How do I get God into it? Or is it God is my life? How do I figure school into God, kids into God, finances into God? And no, no, he's my center. I will figure that stuff out later. Because my answer is yes. Could you imagine? Even this room alone, God took 12 dudes that were racist and messed up. Read the Bible. Peter was the oldest one at 21, by the way. And you're like, oh, no, I'm just too young. Okay, well, Peter was 21. James and John were like 17, 18 years old. And he flipped the world upside down with 12, soon to become 11, because one dished out. His name was Judas. Be like, who, who was it? Who was it? His name was Judas. Why? Because 11 beds said, let's go. Where are we going today? Crossing the river? Let's go. Crossing the lake? Let's go. Going to a town? Healing people? Five loaves and two fish? Jesus, wherever we're going today, my answer is yes. 
My desire as the pastor of this church is that when God looks at the city of Portland and he wants to do something, he wants to call someone, he wants to interject, he wants to intervene, he wants to interrupt, that when he looked over Rose Church, that he would have hundreds of people saying, Jesus, my answer is yes. My answer is absolutely. Where are we going? What are we doing? Why? Because I...